Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. Hey, welcome to Branch Life Church Online. My name is Josh. I'm one of the founding pastors at Branch Life, and we want to welcome you to our summer series that we're calling our Summer Playlist. Hey, there are songs that are on your summer playlist that just sing Uh, to your soul right now. And we're talking about songs that you need to add to your summer playlist. These are some of the best songs that have been written uh, ever in all time. The book of Psalms is full of incredible songs that you should be listening to this summer on a regular basis. Hey, we're challenging those of you who are regularly a part of Branch Life Church, or even those that are just joining us for the first time, to go ahead and read a psalm a day through the summer, and you'll find it to be incredibly encouraging. We're picking one song every week to emphasize as a song that should be a regular part of your playlist, and you'll find some great encouragement as you go through these psalms. Thank you for joining us online, for finding us. If you've been invited, we're glad that you're here. If you worship with us regularly uh, during this pandemic through our online offering, we're just so glad that we can worship with you in this way. We're excited because just a few weeks ago, we began meeting also outside. We are meeting at a a brand new location. We're calling it our Pew Town Campus, and we're meeting outdoors at 9 a.m. at that campus. If you are ready and able and wanting to join us, we practice social distancing. We honor uh, the the face mask wearing uh, guidelines as we're mixing and mingling, Uh, but we also are able to worship together in this outdoor setting. We'd love for you to join us at nine o'clock. Head to branchlife.church for more information. And while you're there, check out our groups. We have a group for you and a group waiting for you. We'd love for you guys to be a regular part of our group program, and you can go to branchlife.church slash groups and find a group that would be a good fit for you and your family. And if you stay to the end of this talk, we're going to make a really encouraging announcement about the next chapter of Branch Life Church, and we want you to hear what that is, so stay tuned. We're going to jump into the book of Psalms, so if you have your Bible, grab it and run to Psalms 22. Now remember what we said about the Psalms. Psalms are are other words that we could use to explain what a Psalm is, is Psalms are books of the Bible that are art. They're artistic expressions of what's happening. It's uh, it's the emotion, it's the passion delivered. The, The doctrine is presented all through God's word, but an artist has taken poetry and written music to these beautiful books, to these beautiful psalms, And it's a mirror and a reflection of you. You're going to find yourself and you're going to find your emotions in these songs as you read them. You're going to find frustration and sadness. You're going to find celebration and praise. You're going to find confession and confusion in these psalms. And today we're going to talk about one of the most powerful songs that gives us some incredible emotion that you'll be able to relate to. These are songs that have music written to them and have been sung uh, for thousands of years and uh, back thousands of years ago and now in 2020. And these are prayers. As you read through the psalms, I challenge you to pray these psalms back to God and you'll find some incredible prayer practices as you read these psalms. 
I don't know if you have ever heard of this particular painting, but it's one of the most famous paintings in the entire world. This is a young lady known as the Mona Lisa. She's probably the most well-known piece of art in our day and age, and millions of people visit her in person on a regular basis. This is the wall that she hangs on in the Louvre in Paris. But have you ever heard of the most overlooked painting of all time? Did you know that there's other paintings in this room where the Mona Lisa is? As a matter of fact, if you were going to look at this room from her perspective, this is what you would see. Crowds of people all getting their cameras out and viewing this little two foot by three foot painting named the Mona Lisa. But notice that their backs are turned to this incredibly massive work of art just opposite the Mona Lisa. This painting in the background is known as the Feast at Cana. It's a painting that was done in the 1500s. It's hundreds and hundreds of years old. This painting has been through world wars. It's been robbed and kidnapped. It's been relocated and it's landed here in the Louvre. It's 22 feet by 32 feet large. It's a massive painting, two basketball hoops high and three basketball hoops long. And this painting behind the Mona Lisa is also priceless. Its value is beyond the stars. Nobody knows uh, what it is actually worth. But most people miss this incredible painting. Their backs are turned to it because they're staring at the Mona Lisa. In the book of the Bible, Psalms is like that painting. Psalm 22 is one of the most impressive works of art in the, in the whole Bible. It's one of the most amazing songs that you're going to ever talk about. And this week, we're going to talk about Psalm 22. But most people don't know Psalm 22 because they rushed to the Mona Lisa of the Psalms, Psalm 23. Next week, we want you to join us as we talk about Psalm 23 because it should be on your summer playlist. It is an incredible work of art. But this week, we're going to look at a powerful song, Psalm 22, that is like that other psalm that gets missed and that other piece of art. You should love Psalm 22. You should study Psalm 22. You should stare into Psalm 22, and you will find that this is an incredible, incredible work of art that is worth your time and your attention and worth being on your summer playlist. Psalm 22 is a psalm about David, Jesus, and you. You're going to find your story in Psalm 22. Psalm 22 was written by David, one of the great songwriters of uh, ever and one of the great characters in God's word, a man after God's own heart. He wrote this psalm. But what's incredible about this psalm, though it was written thousands of years before Christ was ever born, it is a psalm about Jesus and the events of Jesus's life. This is a psalm that talks about the future. We're going to see in this psalm that there are things that David talks about that never happened to David, but they happened to Jesus thousands of years later. And Jesus talks about this psalm at one of the most important moments in history. But it's also a psalm about you. It's also a song where you will connect, where you will find uh, real struggles and real angst, where you will find real encouragement and real challenge. You will see yourself here. This is a psalm 
packed full of doctrine. And this is a psalm packed full of practical advice for everyday daily living. So I'm excited to open Psalm 22 with you today. Listen to some of our theologians talking about Psalm. Charles Spurgeon, a great American pastor, said, We should read Psalm 22 reverently, putting off our shoes from our feet as Moses did at the burning bush. For if there be holy ground anywhere in the scripture, it is this psalm. Martin Luther talks about Psalm 22 like this. He says, this kind of gem among the psalms, this is particularly excellent and remarkable. It contains those deep, sublime, and heavy suffering of Christ. This is a psalm where we're going to see the issue and the reality of suffering confronted face on in our lives and David's lives in the life of Christ himself. As a matter of fact, Psalm 22 shows us the moment God did something about both suffering and sin. You know, if there is a God, if God is real, then you would expect God to do something about the suffering in this world. We all face it. We all deal with it. We see it on a regular basis. This world can be an awful and horrible place. In the past uh, 40 years of my life, we've gone through seasons of periods where we've dealt with hard things like all of us have. But there was a particularly hard five-year period where my wife and I had been married and we were really wanting to have kids. And we talked before uh, at Branch Life about our battle with infertility. One of our greatest passions in life and one of our greatest desires was to be able to have children. And for this five-year period, we struggled to have children. And, and the doctors couldn't tell us what was happening and why we weren't able to have children. And we would go through checkups and procedures and, and we would be trying and working so hard to have these kids and, and wanting this as our own. And God wasn't taking the passion away, but he also wasn't giving us a child of our own. And we battled and struggled. And for those of you that have gone through infertility, you understand exactly the depth of pain that is in that journey. And if you're battling in this particular area, we want you to know that we understand, my wife and I, we care about you and we are glad to join you in prayer and to have conversations with you. But just know that our hearts are there where you are if this is a battle for you. It was one of the hardest periods of our life. And as the years and the months went on and on and still no answers and still no success and still no children of our own, where others around us were having kids and others were, were experienced this great joy that we felt like we were missing out on, we began to ask the question, God, where are you? God, why don't you help solve this problem? We're asking you for help. We're asking you to allow us to have children. We're asking you to lead and guide. And isn't that what you want us to do? God, we, we made deals with God. We talked to God about how we would raise kids his way and, and we'd be willing to help anyone. We were open to adopting kids. We were ready to do anything, yet we felt like God had left. We felt like God wasn't hearing us and and. You could find moments in this journey where we went from questioning to being angry to being frustrated just to being incredibly, incredibly sad and heartbroken. We asked ourselves this question, where was God? Where was God in this suffering and in this heartache and in this, in this pain? For those of you that have traveled through difficult times, you understand that we ask this question of God in hard times. Where are you? 
God, will you show yourself? God, will you deliver us? God, will you give us help and aid? And will you relieve us? And we, we beg for God to come in and to rescue us from suffering. And if there is a God, wouldn't he do something about his children suffering? In Psalm 22, we see the moment where God attacks suffering. Where God goes after it and he does something. And he does something that will transform all of our lives and our world and our eternity. He addresses suffering in a major way. And he also addresses sin. You know, sometimes we suffer and it's no fault of our own. But sometimes we know that we make choices that, that hurt. That hurt ourselves and that hurt others. And we find ourselves in this, in this arena of sin. We're doing something we know is wrong. And we need, we, need to, we need to fix that problem. Well, how do we fix that problem? Psalm 22 shows us the moment where God fixes the problem of sin. It's why it's a gem of a psalm. It's why it's holy ground in God's word, this incredible psalm. So if you have your Bibles, go to Psalm 22. We're going to look at it in three sections today. We're not going to be able to read it all in these moments that we have together online, but we are. I'm asking you to spend some time reading it later. Look at these three sections and understand the truth that's being developed here. In Psalm chapter 22, and starting in verse 1, it says this, uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Yet you're holy and enthroned on the praises of Israel and our father and our fathers have trusted you. Verse six, but I am a worm. I'm not a man. I'm scorned by mankind. I'm despised by the people. All who see me mock me and, and make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts the Lord to deliver him. Let him Deliver him and let him rescue, for his delights are in him. Psalm 22 starts off with this incredible connection to suffering. You see an artist who is in pain. David, as he wrote this song, was hurting. When he is describing, even maybe unknowingly, Jesus Christ himself, he's describing someone who was hurting. And as I read this song, I think about these moments where I was hurting, where I felt this same way. In Psalm 22, 1 through 18, Jesus understands our suffering. It starts in the very, very first verse. How do we know that this is connected to Jesus himself? How do we know that this song written years and years before Jesus was ever on the earth is about Jesus Christ? How do we know that this is prophetic? The first verse says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This probably sounds familiar to you because this is one of Jesus's seven phrases that he said from the cross. Jesus only said a few words as he hung dying on the cross at the young age of 33, as he was being put to death, as he was being crucified in those moments. And as Jesus hung on the cross, the, the third to last thing he said was this phrase. He saw all of the sin of mankind being put on him. The wrath of God was resting on him in this moment. He was paying our price for the sins, uh, for our sins. He was paying the price for the sins of the world. And as he took on our suffering, as he took on our sin, Jesus quoted Psalm 22 verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? Where are you in this moment? Where are you in this pain? I feel like you are distant. I feel like you are not present here. 
In Jesus quoting this psalm, he identifies himself in this psalm. He shows himself in an incredible way. He's saying to everybody who ever read the Bible and who ever will read the Bible, guys, in Psalm 22, when it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was talking about me. Jesus made this connection in quoting this psalm. And he's asking every single one of us who are staring at the cross to run to Psalm 22 and understand that this is at the core of who Jesus is. That Jesus understands our human suffering. He knows the pain that we face. He knows the trials that we go through. He bore them on the cross. He received them into himself. And he went through one of the most excruciating journeys of pain that anybody could go through. If there's anybody in the world that understands suffering, it's Jesus Christ. And he points us to the psalm and he says, I understand suffering. Just look at some of these verses in this first section that point to that moment on the cross. These things, though written thousands of years ago, came true in the moment that Jesus hung on the cross. Christ in the crucifixion found in the Psalms. When he said, my God, my God, why are you forsaken me? He showed these prophecies to all come true. In verse 14, it said he would be poured out like water. In verse 14, it said that his bones would be made out of joint. His tongue would stick to his jaw. And on the cross, one of the other words he said was, I thirst, I thirst. They lay me in the dust of death. In verse 16, the hands would be pierced and his feet would be pierced by the nails. This never happened to David. David was never a part of this kind of crucifixion. Why would he use this language? He was prophetically speaking about Christ a thousand years later. In verse 17, it said that I would be able to count my bones. Jesus was beaten so badly. He was flogged uh, so horribly that you could count the ribs in his body. In verse 17, it says that they would stare and they would gloat. People uh, 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 mocked Jesus as he hung on the cross. They were glad and thought they won, not just the, the Pharisees of the day, not just the religious rulers of the day, but also the demonic powers of that day thought they had victory in this moment on the cross. They stared and they gloated. In verse 18, they divided my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothes. Those officers at the foot of the cross... As they, as they gambled for the clothes that, be, that belonged to Jesus, were fulfilling the prophecy that was written in Psalm 22. Why is all of this here? It's because you need to know and you need to understand that Jesus understands your suffering. Those five years where my wife and I struggled and we pleaded and we begged and we bargained and we prayed, Jesus understand every, understood every single one of those moments. As you travel through suffering, know this. Jesus Christ is the one who will get you through it because Jesus Christ is the one who already went through it. What do we do with suffering? Where do we turn? Where do we run? What does this art tell us to do? What does this psalm say? What does prophecy instill in us? When you are traveling through suffering, run to Jesus Christ. Don't abandon your faith. Don't don't push your faith away. Don't get too busy to deepen your faith in God, but run to Christ. Embrace the work of Jesus, even though you don't understand, even though it feels so wrong and so distant, even though there's pain and hurt. Jesus is the one who will help you get through it because Jesus has already gotten through it. 
We stand right now, and if you're watching this live, or if you're watching the pre-recording of this, as I'm speaking, we're in the middle of July 2020. The COVID pandemic in our region has come, and it kind of started to subside, and now it seems like it's coming back again. We are, are dealing with an incredible amount of suffering, of frustration, of worry, and anxiety in this world. There are so many that are dealing with pain because loved ones have gotten sick and died. Just this very weekend, I had a con- we had a conversation with someone in our church who lost a coworker and a friend to COVID, a father of three. There are many whose livelihoods, whose businesses have been put on hold or been shut down completely. There are those in leadership that are trying to wrestle and understand and taking some incredible financial and personal loss, and they're grieving through this time, and we, see, we feel like we're in the middle of it, and it's something that's happening to the whole world, and we can say to God, God, where are you? We're suffering down here. Come and rescue us and help us. And God says, Jesus understands this suffering. Jesus is the one who will get us through this trial and this time. And so in this period of suffering, we need to run to the cross. We need to run to the person of Jesus and understand that he is going to be the one who understands. That he is going to be the one who delivers, that we can put our faith and trust and rest in him. And we are able to have peace even in the midst of suffering through Jesus. And there's no other place to get it. If I could say one thing to to Christians, to brothers and sisters right now in response to the COVID crisis, we are high stressed. We're in high frustration. We are on hair triggers to snap at people. And a pandemic is no reason to become a jerk. It's no reason to start treating other people poorly because you're hurting doesn't mean you need to make other people hurt. And I think we as Christians need to care a little bit less about politics and a little bit more about people. That we need to to take the love of Jesus to the people around us, to be kind and to be gracious because that's what Jesus has asked us to do. And when we rest in the person of Jesus and we understand that he is in control, that it's not politicians that are in control. It's It's not conspiracies that are in control. It's not even the evil darkness of this world that's in control. Jesus is the one that's in control. I can rest in him. And I know that my future is secure in him and so that I can then give the love and kindness of Christ to everyone who comes in contact. God wants us to be busy loving our neighbors in this season of hurt and pain. And don't let your hurt and pain distract you from what Jesus has for you to do and what Jesus has for you to give. One of the, some of the sweetest moments that my wife and I have been able to have in our period of suffering through infertility and even in our period of suffering now is being able to connect and encourage other people through kindness because that's what Jesus has asked us to do. Jesus understands our suffering. Jesus will help us get through it because he's been through it. Now, Psalm 22 goes on, and it goes on in a powerful way. As we go through 19 and 20, we're going to see this truth, that Jesus rescues us from sin. Now, Psalm 22, verses uh, uh, 19 and 21 are some powerful verses inside this powerful psalm. So I have them here up on the screen. Starting in verse 19, it says, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. You are my help. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, 
My precious life from the power of the dog saved me from the mouth of the lion, and you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. David is just saying, man, everything that can be thrown at me has been thrown at me. I need help. I'm in a bad place. I'm desperate. I don't feel you. I don't know where you are, but I know, God, that you are. do not be afar off. Do come and be my helper. Deliver me and save me and rescue me. Jesus is our Savior, our Rescuer, our Deliverer, and He is never, never far off. When you battle uh, uh, sin and, and mistakes and making choices that you know uh, displease God, when you are that jerk in this period of a pandemic, when you when you do say something and treat someone in a wrong way, how do you how do you deal with that sin? How do you make that right? Jesus is the one who rescues us from sin. And when he died his death on the cross, when he went through that period of suffering, Jesus became our deliverer and our rescuer, and he solved the problem of sin. You see, when we suffer, we feel these emotions that you see in this psalm. We feel abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We feel exhausted. I I am poured out and my bones are out of joint. We feel broken. I can count every bone in my body, torn apart. When we go through suffering, these feelings are real. We need to recognize that. We need to understand that and we need to address those things. And Jesus understands these emotions. Now, when we sin, and remember, suffering is no excuse to sin. Pandemics are no excuse to be a jerk. Stress is not a reason to snap. But when we sin, that brings some very real consequences. It brings separation. It separates us from God. It puts something in between us that's not supposed to be there. It brings separation in relationship. It brings separation in community. When we sin, it brings emptiness. You might do something you, you think you, you know you shouldn't do, but you, you decide that you do do it, and, and, and you do it, and it felt good for a moment, but afterwards you, you feel guilty, you feel bad, you, you, you know that it's not fulfilling in any way. Sin is empty, ultimately. When we sneak around and try to, uh, to do the things that we think are going to make us happy or please us, it, it, it just leads to more emptiness. And when we sin, it brings brokenness. It breaks things. It breaks those friendships. It breaks marriages. It, it breaks our community, communion with God. Well, in Psalm 22, we see this. Jesus is near us. Jesus is our helper, our deliverer, our savior, and our rescuer. When we realize that Jesus is all of these things, that he has reached down and he's called us to himself, that he has solved the problem of sin, that he understands and has solved the problem of suffering in this moment on the cross, we can put our faith and trust in him. What Jesus offers, no other religion offers. What Jesus offers, no other faith offers. There is hope that is found uniquely in Jesus. You can investigate all the religions of the world to find uh, uh, understanding and enlightenment to what's happening. You can search around and look at the teachings that have been presented, and you're going to find a lot of things that are going to ask you to do something. They're going to encourage you to to think more with your mind or to act more with your body. They're going to, to have you lift yourself up. And what other religions say, do, Jesus says, done. 
Jesus has already accomplished the things that need to be accomplished to solve the problems of suffering and sin. Christianity brings something that no other religion brings. It brings a person. The person of Jesus solves the problem of sin and suffering. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you allow him to lead you and guide you, he will solve the problem of sin and suffering in your life. And there will be in your life someone to lead you and guide you and comfort you through the hardest times and someone who can save you and rescue you and solve the sin problem for all eternity. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you become a follower of God? Have you been thinking about following Jesus? I, I want to tell you that Psalms 22 says that Jesus is the, is the one that needs to be followed. If you have any questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you can click on the gospel tab at branchlife.church slash the gospel. You can use the response card that we have made available to you online and let us know if you have any questions. But I want to invite you, if you're ready to accept Jesus as your personal Savior, to even in this moment, whether you're listening live or to a rebroadcast, simply to have a conversation with God. You know that you're a sinner. You know that these sins have separated you and they've caused some horrible things and that you need Jesus to deliver you. Just say, just say to Jesus through this simple prayer, Dear God, forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus came and that he died on the cross for me and that he rose again from the dead. And I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to trust in Jesus to be my savior, to save my soul and follow him with my life. And when you pray that prayer, you have become a follower of Jesus. You've confessed in your, with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says you will be saved. He has rescued you in this moment. And we want to welcome you to the family of God. So please let us know in that response card or on that gospel tab that you have prayed this prayer, that you've made this decision. You could even say something in the comment section now. Uh, uh, hashtag, I prayed that prayer to accept Jesus as my personal Savior. Psalms 22 leads us to this reality. In our sin and in our suffering, we cry out to Jesus who is near, who will rescue us. As this psalm ends, we see an incredible change, an incredible celebration. The tone of the song changes. The mood of the painting shifts. And it goes from one of pain and despair and suffering to one of joy and celebration. What do we do in the midst of suffering? What do we do when we've asked Jesus to forgive us our sins, when we're wrestling with the problems of this world? Well, the psalmist tells us that we worship Jesus together. Jesus is worthy of our worship. And when he helps us in the times of suffering, when he helps us and forgives us of sin, we're able to worship him with our lives. So we worship Jesus together. Look what happens in Psalm 22 when this truth is realized. It says, I, David, will tell your name to my brothers. I'm going to tell my very family. I'm going to use the name of Jesus. Don't not use the name of Jesus as you talk about trials, as you talk about suffering, and you look for solutions in this world. Bring Jesus up. My wife and I, as we travel through this battle of infertility, we would... Uh, talk together about Jesus and about God. We'd ask our friends and get their advice. We'd pray together. We'd ask other people to pray for us. Even in those moments where it hurt and it was painful, Jesus being a regular part of that conversation was key to us to be able to worship in him and to lean into talking about God. Have Jesus as a regular part of your conversation, not just when you gather together on Sundays, but every day of the week in the congregation. I will praise you when we're gathered together. We will praise God together. Together. We do this as a church. We come together. We worship. It's one of the, the 
things that I miss most about being able to gather in person. But even when we worship online, you can still worship together. In those comments, you can give a shout out to Jesus right now and give an amen and a hallelujah so that around other people, you know that we worship and when we sing songs, we are able to sing these songs in unison, even though we're split apart and worship God through these moments. Those who fear the Lord, praise him. We praise Jesus. We glorify him. We stand in awe of who he is, the one who conquered sin and death and suffering. We eat and are satisfied when we, when we are sustained by our relationship with God. Those who seek him shall praise him. When you find Jesus, you're not going to be able to be quiet about it. We remember and turn to the Lord. Don't forget Christ. Don't forget about your relationship with Christ because the kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. I want this to be a description of our church every time we get together. This kind of worship, this kind of celebration, this kind of proclamation is what we can do even in this moment of a pandemic, even in this moment of being split apart. We at Branch Life Church love to worship God and we want to get that refreshing meal that we're able to have together as we stand in awe of who God is. That's what we see as this incredible psalm closes, this awesome celebration of Jesus Christ, seeing him fully. So we invite you to continue to worship together. As you travel through suffering on these days, do not abandon your worship of Jesus Christ. Do not set it aside. Don't allow it to get crowded out. Don't take a vacation from it. No, worship together. Make worship a regular part of what you do on a daily and on a weekly basis with your lives worship together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We worship here at Branch Life Church. We ask our small groups to gather together. They care for one another. They serve. They help their neighbors and they, they open God's word. They worship together as a small group. When we gather together as a church, whether it's online or outside, we worship together. But I would venture a guess that during this COVID crisis, worship has been difficult for you. There's been seasons where it has been difficult for me as well. Our routines are broken. We're not able to be in a place where we can fellowship like we used to. We have to watch online sometimes. But don't let those things interrupt your worship. As a matter of fact, work as hard as you possibly can to prioritize worshiping and proclaiming the name of God together. At Branch Life Church, we worship together in a couple of ways. We worship as we can outdoors. We're gathering together, we're staying six feet apart, but we're able to at least be in the same space and to lift up our voices together. When we can't be outdoors, we're online. For those that are unable to join us, we still worship together online. And then if you can't even do that together on Sundays, you can connect at some other time during the week on demand. So I want to give you some really practical advice about worship in this season of suffering that we're having right now. As I read Psalm 22 and I thought about worshiping together and how important that is during seasons of suffering, I want to encourage those of you that are a regular part of Branch Life, those of you that need to be a regular part of worship, to lean into these thoughts. Number one, when you worship, be fully present. If you're online and you're worshiping with us and, and there's a lot of distractions around you, I know it's hard. It's hard to be able to set aside that time, but set it aside, guard it, protect it, and be fully present. Don't let your phone swipe to different apps. Don't let those notifications distract you, uh, but be there in that moment 
and, and allow yourself to be quiet before God, your, your spirit to be uh, uh, called into the presence of God and worship in that moment. Number two, like, share, and comment. As you continue to worship online and in person, we want to encourage you to celebrate. When you're online, you do that by hitting the like button. You share things. You continue to be on mission as a church. We share our love of Jesus. We share our worship of Jesus with other people. And it has never been easier to share church, to share worship with others because we can simply hit the share button on a regular basis. If God has encouraged you with what you have been present in in worship, then advance it on so other people can be present. And we have been blessed that God has been using even our online worship to encourage people in their walk with God, to see people make decisions to follow God. We've had requests that people would like to be baptized. They would like to be able to join the church. They have questions that they want to get answered about who God is. You can be a part of that when you like, share, and comment. And if we can't be together and we're only online, those comments are so important because it's how we proclaim God together. And so we say amen and we, we encourage one another with these words of fellowship and of praise as we comment in our sections. And, and number three, worship, don't just watch. And this can be incredibly hard, but whether you're online or whether you're outside or in, in a building, we can so easily become watchers and not worshipers. Worship is an action. Worship is something that we do with our soul. And so when we worship, we want to lean in and participate in that worship. We want to know and understand God's word. We want to proclaim God together through the songs. And we want to worship through serving God through the rest of our, our, our week. God says to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. Why do we call Sunday gatherings a worship service? Because we serve. We sacrifice time, energy, and effort to get ourselves into that place, to give God those moments and our full attention as sacrifice to Him. And we have tried to make worship as convenient as possible, but in that, don't let the convenience weaken the importance or the priority of what a worship service is. When you serve your neighbor, you worship. When you gather together with fellow believers on Sundays or online, you worship. And this worship is key as we travel through suffering. We nourish and encourage our souls and one another when we worship Jesus together. Remember, we said it this way. Jesus Christ is the one who will get you through it because Jesus Christ is the one who already went through it. When I lean into Jesus, worship becomes a priority in my life. So as you wrestle through this pandemic, as you wade through the deep waters of life, as you try to answer the question, what do I do with my sin? Let me say to you today that this incredible song points us directly to the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. Strengthen your connection to Christ so that you can reach farther in this world and have fruit of joy, peace, and kindness, even in the midst of suffering and pain. We hope you guys will join us again next week as we gather together and we look at the Mona Lisa of Psalms, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jump in and be a part of that service. As I mentioned at the beginning of our talk, we said that we would give you some really great news about the future of Branch Life Church 
And so we are planning to, as long as we're able to continue worshiping at 9 a.m. outside, to continue to allow these services to be broadcast uh, live hosted at 1030 online. But just last Sunday uh, at our new campus, we had a, a meeting and it was decided and finalized. The members of Pewtown Baptist Church have voted to officially join and become a part of Branch Life Church. Two churches have become one, and we have adopted Branch Life Church. And the campus that we're meeting on outside, what we're calling the Pewtown Campus, has become the new home of Branch Life Church. More importantly, the, the members of Pewtown Baptist Church have become a part of Branch Life Church, and we are now officially one family, and we're celebrating the launch of our brand new campus. So we're excited about what God is doing even during the season. We're excited to be one family with these brand new family members, and we can't wait for you guys to get to know each other in a whole new way as we work forward to advance the kingdom of God and to proclaim his name here in the Pottstown, uh, Phoenixville, Pewtown areas of Chester, Montgomery, and Berks County. We thank you if you've been able to join us online from a distance. We thank you to all those that have been able to give regularly to help support this work. We're all about uh, advancing the kingdom of God, and if you want to be a part of that, you can join in uh, through worship and through giving anytime at Branch Life. Dot church. We hope that you will have a blessed week. And don't forget, uh, this week, dive into those psalms and they will be an encouragement to your soul as we continue singing through our summer playlist. Have a great rest of the week.